Hi, everyone, and welcome to Med Reflections, a podcast that aims to touch upon pertinent topics and discusses scholarship while elaborating on the lenses that should be adopted to learn or unlearn. In our first series, we'll be focusing on the subject of Indigenous health. Before proceeding to this episode, we would like to take a moment to acknowledge the land on which this podcast was produced. McGill University is located on land which has long served as a site of meeting and exchange amongst Indigenous peoples, including the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe nations. McGill honors, recognizes, and respects these nations as the traditional stewards of these lands and waters on which we meet today. We also recognize that Jojage, Montreal, continues to be home to a diverse population of Indigenous and other peoples. My name is Ileana, and today we have a very special guest, Jennifer Robinson, who is starting her residency at McGill in July and is a member of the Temiskaming First Nations. Thank you so much for coming to speak with us today, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Ileana, for having me. So um, right off the bat, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to pursue a career in medicine? Yes, definitely. So as you mentioned, I'm Jennifer and I'm starting my residency at McGill in July. Um, I did my medical training at McGill. Uh, so I'm just finishing that up right now. I am a mom of two kids who are uh, 12 and 10. So those, you know, they, they've been on the little journey with me as well throughout medicine. Uh, and a lot of the reasons why um, I wanted to pursue medicine have to do with, you know, not just um, wanting to help people, but also wanting to be, you know, example for my children, example for other Indigenous people that, you know, they can, they can pursue a career in medicine too. Um, one of the uh, other reasons why I wanted to pursue medicine was I had done a lot of work in the area of Indigenous health um, and more in the area of public health and policy. And a lot of the things that we see in the healthcare system are related to um, policies that have been there, uh, in, you know, historical policies. And they are ongoing policies that still impact the health and how the health system addresses First Nations health. So part of my wanting to go into medicine um, later on in the stage of life that I'm in is because I wanted to get the clinical side, the clinical experience um, of working in health so that I can kind of complement the, the policies and the policy aspects that I know about Indigenous health. So ultimate goal is to help other people and to try to encourage other people to pursue medicine who are um, Indigenous and to help change the system. That's so beautiful. Um, is there anything, you know, that I guess you talked about policy and you talked about helping people, which for me too was also like, I guess, the, the driving factor um, for going into medicine. Um, but is there things that really excite you? Is there something that excites you the most about the field of medicine? Yeah, so what I really like to about, um, I guess, you know, going into medicine, I couldn't have imagined what it was actually like until being in medicine. And so, you know, I imagined seeing patients and I imagined, you know, helping and learning about the body and all of that sort of stuff. But where, I got really, really excited was when I saw that there were a lot of people in the health system that wanted to create change, not just at that patient level, but they want to create systemic change. So for me, that that felt good because 
it kind of encouraged me to be able to use my voice in the healthcare setting to advocate for Indigenous populations who are, you know, accessing care. Um, and that, to me, that was exciting because it wasn't, it hasn't always been that way. And as we know in Quebec, we're, you know, in other provinces, we're still struggling with, with the systemic issues that, that we've seen recently. Yeah, and we'll talk, we'll talk for sure touch about that um, later on in terms of um, what's going on in the system itself. Mm -hmm. um, and would you say there was ever um, a moment or maybe a person that inspired you? You have your own, of course, like you said, you know, push to, to go to medicine and to hopefully change um, many things that are um, involved in the system, but it's something like personal anecdote that you have. So I often tell this story about how when I was really, really young, so maybe grade two, my mom read a story to me called, I think it's called The Value in Believing in Yourself. And it was about Louis Pasteur. So it's like, it was a long time ago. But it goes to show, you know, there's the story was about Louis Pasteur, who was helping a little boy who had rabies, and nobody believed in his, you know, vaccine or whatever he was trying to make. And at the end of the, you know, throughout the whole book, he keeps saying, just believe in yourself and continue no matter what kind of, you know, challenges happen. And that was probably the very first time I can actually remember thinking like, oh, I want to be a doctor. Like, I want to be, you know, I want to help people just like he did. And that seed was planted then. And then over time, I started to uh, take part in a lot of different programs that were targeted for um, uh, First Nation students to explore sciences. And they were mostly based out of different universities. So I did two different programs at UBC when I was a teenager. And those programs introduced us to First Nations people who were in different sciences. And then they introduced us to the university and how the university works. Um, and also they introduced us to First Nations doctors. And, you know, there aren't as many First Nations doctors as there should be per, you know, for the population that we have. And so it was very, I think, important for me to see other First Nations doctors, because even, even now in the university and in the hospital setting, I don't see a lot of other First Nations doctors. I probably could name most of the First Nation doctors that you know that are that are that are in Quebec. So I I think that you know having encouragement from family. So my mother when she was reading the story to me, having been introduced to other people who also were in different science backgrounds, um, and then of course people who are in medicine. So different First Nation doctors in medicine, um, and then I would say that. In when I did my undergraduate degree at the um, Saskatchewan Indian Federated College in Regina, um, there was an Indigenous health certificate course that I took. And I took it from uh, a First Nations professor. And this course introduced me to how the colonial policies that were set up for, you know, the relationship between Canada and Indigenous people, how those policies actually affected our health outcomes and why there's such a disparity and such inequity in First Nations health. That basically, you know, kind of paved that path and sparked the interest in wanting to know more about how the system and the policies relate to our actual health outcomes. Wow. So 
in speaking of, I guess, indigenous um, education, do you think that there was, you maybe mentioned it briefly in saying that you could name on your hand how many um, indigenous doctors there were. Do you think that there, that you faced um, any barriers in as an indigenous student getting into medical school or in your path towards a higher education? And if not you in the general um, sense? Some of the some of the ways that I've seen universities address some of the barriers to um, uh, Indigenous and First Nations people getting into medicine specifically would be to have outreach to communities that, you know, introduce the idea of coming to university, and not just the idea, but inviting them to different camps. Um, McGill has a camp that invites uh, Indigenous students to participate in different things, kind of like the camps I did when I was younger. Um, and at that camp, you know, they can meet different people in different health professions. And then they can also learn and understand about how, what the path is to get into these professions. Because if you aren't part of a family that understands the path to medicine, it can be pretty challenging and pretty, you know, eye-opening to see all the different steps that you might have to do to get there and all the different requirements to fulfill. So really having outreach programs to help students at a young age um, be able to explore the types of programs that are available to them. And then also to show them how they can work later on in community. So often at these, you know, different outreach camps, we explain, you know, a First Nations person in a health profession can explain how they did it and that it's one way to do it. And I remember also, you know, when I was much younger going to shadow a doctor in Saskatchewan at the University um, of uh, Saskatoon. And uh, she, to this day, you know, she encouraged me way back then. She showed me how a First Nation doctor works in a hospital. And, you know, I remember on the intercom hearing uh, you know, they needed a translator for Cree. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like I just, I saw how I would potentially fit into the healthcare system by shadowing a First Nation doctor in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, no, I think a lot of times it's interesting that it's, it's when you could see yourself in a position, like that's what makes um, sometimes the biggest difference, even though, of course, like you hear all these amazing things and you can read about it, you can watch all the Grey's Anatomy episodes and it's very cool yeah. when you can see, wow, there's someone here who, you know, I could be like that person. Like that also is just, yeah, an incredible yeah it really goes a long way. Yeah, no, I, wow. Um, and even just taking it, it, I feel like we're very, very lucky and privileged in, you know, McGill, um, there is an indigenous component incorporated into the curriculum, which is, I think, different from many other um, medical schools. Um, and just like maybe focusing on this aspect, do you think that that had an impact on you? Definitely. I think, um, you know, arriving to university and, uh, you know, on the first day of class, I believe it was, we had an elder um, from one of the Mohawk communities come and introduce us to the territory, um, welcome us to the territory and introduce us to some of the aspects of the indigenous population that he came from. And not only that, but really give us a sense of, you know, that we're here to not just become doctors, but that we're actually here to listen and to understand people and to know 
kind of where we are situated so that we can understand patients that come from from the communities that we're where we're where we are that to me was very very important because a lot of times you know if we don't have an introduction to the territory and you don't have an introduction to indigenous health in any way throughout your education in medicine it ends up being something that you know someone like myself may have to continually describe to people continually try to explain to people um which I'm happy to do, but it can get exhausting and you can't reach everybody. But having the elder come in and talk about, you know, the territory and the historical context that we are, you know, that they're living in and that we're living in together really made it so that the class is on the same page from day one. Um, and we were really encouraged to do um, rotations in First Nation communities. I was lucky enough to do my rotation in Akwesasne, and that was one of you know the best rotations that I ever had um, because that was that is you know the dream that I have is to work uh, in communities. So to be able to do that and have that opportunity that was really really important to me. And McGill is you know McGill had that incorporated already as an as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And do you think that there could be? Is there a need to maybe improve in certain aspects in the curriculum or um, do you find it that it impacted like uh, future options overall? I think that um, there's always going to be room for improvement because we can sort of see reflected in the healthcare system that there is a very big need for improvement. Um, so McGill has done a lot of good things to make learning about Indigenous health um, throughout our education, uh, something that, you know, is not just touched upon one time at the beginning, it was throughout and also we had extra opportunity to learn about it. Um, I think that even, you know, being in the health care system at McGill as a student, many of, of my classmates and I have heard things that, you know, would you know, that are very alarming and that would alert us to wanting to do more. Um, and so I, I know that McGill thinks about this. Um, we had a physicianship class um, just last week. And that the purpose of that class was to ask students to reflect on the kinds of things that we've heard, um, you know, whether it be Indigenous related or not, but things that were inappropriate, things that were, um, you know, potentially harmful to, to patients or to students in the patient uh, interaction. And the fact that we all had a lot of different stories shows that there's a, still a lot of work to be done in terms of teaching about safety and patient safety. Um, so there, I think, you know, McGill is working on it. And one of the, one of the things that I think is important is to know that um, people aren't just ignoring it in, in, in McGill. And so for me, that's something that's very important. If it was something that people ignored, then it would be very scary to continue, you know, to, to think about this. But the fact that we're not there yet, but we're not ignoring that it's a problem, that it's something we have to work on. Great. So you acknowledge that cultural safety is an important factor. Um, in healthcare, and do you think that there's ways that the you know, of course, think like, wow, it's amazing that we you know they're there and 
we're I guess we're getting to a point where we're talking about it. Um, but how do you think that you know, as someone who's watching this or someone who is already either in you know their rotations or even actually practicing, how do you think that they can practice medicine that is culturally safe? So I think the first thing when I think of cultural safety um, is that it's important to understand that cultural safety, that term and that idea, that approach is 100% based on the experience of the person receiving care. So when we think about that being the definition of cultural safety, um, that makes me think that although we're getting a lot of cultural awareness from McGill um, and from, you know, other, I think other, other institutions are doing this too, we get a lot of cultural awareness where we learn about different cultures. And as, as you know, students, we're aware that we're from different cultures and we're very, you know, that part I don't think we are um, struggling with. We have that awareness. We're getting education on different cultural norms and things like that. But where it might be important to kind of shift our focus on is just as in medicine, how we think about patient-centered care being something that is safe. So we're looking at the patient's home. We're looking at the patient's, you know, proximity to pharmacies for getting medicine. We're looking not just at the patient's, um, you know, problem uh, that they present with. We're looking at the whole patient. And that um, idea of patient-centered care is to protect the patient um, and to make sure that we don't just leave them um, without looking at their, you know, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. In cultural safety, to be able to have a system where there's cultural safety for an Indigenous person accessing the system, that's going to require more than just us having an awareness of different cultures. Um, it's going to require that at an individual level, we are able to be open to different cultures, be open to, you know, having a space where a First Nation person um, feels comfortable telling us their story. Um, and then it also is going to have to happen at a systemic level. So, you know, from the time an Indigenous person walks into the front door, the person greeting the, the Indigenous person needs to be able to create a safe space for that patient to, to access care in the whole system. So it, you know, as individual doctors, we can make sure that we do our part, but we're also going to have to advocate that the system does its part as well. And for a system to be culturally safe, we also need to get the perspective of the Indigenous patient to find out, are we doing a good job? Are you feeling safe? You know, what is your experience? And I think there's a lot more we can do to solicit that information from, from people so that we, we know how to make the system better. Um, having First Nation doctors, having First Nation people throughout the entire system is one way to help the system become more culturally safe. Um, but we really do need to get that information from the patients themselves. Um, so in order for, you know, it comes down to the question of how do we make it better? I think we need to start with asking Quebec um, First Nations and Indigenous populations what is going to make it so that they have a safe and respectful experience. You know, I'm thinking about how a lot of times when I 
I think when like when you think cultural safety, you think you focus on like the me and you say, okay, like I'm being, I have this check mark off, I have that, I have this, and I don't really think I've ever like focused when I was watching um, or interacting with different patients about um, how it is like they're feeling or, you know, like I'm good or maybe I'm not even good, but you know, it's really about them. And are they, are they feeling that um, they're safe? Are they feeling that this interaction is, you know, that they feel um, that their health is really being taken mm. care of. Um, so something I'm really going to think about. Um, and you mentioned, I guess, at the beginning, how you were, you know, very much involved um, in public policy or wanted to, you know, try to, which is so incredible. And I think that, especially, I didn't realize that, you know, doctor could also be um, and should be uh, very much involved um, in the policymaking side to really make a difference. Um, so maybe just focusing on one aspect um, of accessibility, you know, it's, it's a very important principle in the Healthcare Act. Um, but do you see um, issues of accessibility shaping different health outcomes in the communities that you've worked in or in your own community? So I, I can speak a little bit broadly about First Nation, some First Nation aspects of policy. Um, I think, you know, not to give an entire history lesson, but I think it's important that we do uh, understand first, you know, the policy of the uh, Indian Act. That policy, that act basically dismantled our indigenous ways of governing ourselves in terms of how we govern health, education, cultural activities, um, how we just operated in general. And understanding that that act took away how we do things and kind of forced upon First Nations people to, um, to do things a whole, a completely different way. It actually took away, you know, they banned cultural ceremony. They banned speaking our languages um, in schools. They took children away to go to Indian resident and put them in Indian residential schools. All of those kinds of things, I think it's really important for people in the healthcare system to understand that there is an actual law that took all of this away. And a lot of the, the, you know, the things that we try to do now is trying to make it so that we are gaining back our rights to govern ourselves and our rights to shape health how we want it to be. So thinking about the fact that though that Indian Act is still in place, the policies, you know, they might have shifted a tiny bit here and there. There is still a, a someone else, a federal government that is still imposing policy on First Nation communities in a lot of different situations. Um, you know, a lot of topics that we touched on in class would be um, birthing at home. So birthing at home was banned by the government and then it was medicalized basically as well from, you know, medical, the medical standpoint. Um, and so now we have a situation where we have lots of women who have to fly down or fly to a major center in order to give birth. And that's often regardless of whether or not it's a high-risk pregnancy or not a high-risk pregnancy. So a very long-standing policy or, you know, banning First Nations women from giving birth in community means that what do we have happening in community? We 
have death in community and we're allowed to take care of death, but we don't have the joy in community where we're allowed to experience the birth. And so if you, if you don't know that it was an actual policy and it was, an, you know, it was planned that way, then we just continue to keep flying women to centers to give birth. And so that means we keep our birthing cultural ceremonies, our birthing, what we know, what we knew how to do already, <laughs> you know, before, that's all kept away from our communities. So one of the things that a lot of places are working on is bringing birthing back to our communities. And in order to do that, of course, we can't do that in a bubble. And it's also not, you know, kind of our way to do things in a bubble. We like to do things in a shared way. We like to learn from each other. So bringing birthing back requires, you know, that we let First Nations tell us how they want it done and that we share our, our abilities that, you know, we might be able to, to help support them to be able to do that in community. Um, I would say another uh, policy aspect that would be interesting to look at is um, First Nations have a different, uh, depending if your status or not, it's much more complicated than how I'm explaining it. They're, they have a different sort of insurance coverage that's covered by the federal government that's separate from non-Indigenous Canadians. And in that insurance, you know, it has to be negotiated by the federal government how and what types of medicine will be covered under this plan. And so, you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done because a lot of the, the medications on that formulary are not on the same formulary that a non-Indigenous person would have access to through provincial health. And then some of those medications are very old and they're not the up-to-date ones. And in this situation, I can think of, you know, medications for psychiatry that are, you know, accepted, they're new, they're better, they have less symptoms, they help, they enable people who have, you know, the, some psychiatric illness to actually work. Those medications are not necessarily on that formulary. And you might have to go through a bunch of steps to get that medication. So when we think about that as doctors, if you don't know that and you prescribe something that you know person will not have access to and then they're experiencing all the symptoms that prevent them from working prevent them from living a better quality of having a better quality of life you know we need to be able to know that so we can advocate that it, that we make changes to to policies like the formulary and do you see it going on an upward slope like from the beginning of your Yes, because a lot of the work that um, I've been a part of in the past um, has been at provincial and federal levels of government, and then also with the Assembly of First Nations. And one of the, the things that I was able to see is that, you know, the communities are working with their uh, counterparts in government and with the Assembly to try to advocate that these things change. However, it, it has to be done a little bit more in terms of, you know, these things take time, but they shouldn't take that much time, right? If, the, if something is good enough for non-Indigenous people, 
in terms of medication, it should be on that formulary right away for indigenous people. I don't think it needs to be taking the, the time that it takes, but there's definitely a lot of improvement. Um, a lot of different provinces have tables where First Nation communities meet with, you know, the provincial and federal government. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're in charge of their own health necessarily. I think that's what has to change is we need to have our own governance systems of health in place and then uh, explain how we want the federal government, the provincial government to, to work with us. Um, so I guess maybe to a third um, topic that I want to bring up in the remainder that we had is on um, ideas about around mental health. Um, and, you know, I guess you're now in the residency um, journey of, which is crazy, um, and congratulations. Um, but do you think that the perspective of mental health has changed amongst physicians that have worked with um, Indigenous communities? So I haven't had a, you know, a lot of experience yet working in community just by doing my, you know, my rotations. I think I'll have, probably have a better answer to that once I've you know, worked for, for some time. But I can say that um, on, a, you know, on a, I guess, level of, again, back to policy level, mental, mental health has been viewed quite differently uh, in the past. And I remember when I was learning about just general health issues, uh, you know, at least 15 years ago, there was the First Nation aspect of health that I was familiar with and that I learned from my mom and elders and, you know, family. And that aspect was, you need to address spiritual, mental, emotional, physical in a person. And not just address that in a person, but we would try to address it in community. And the Western model of health that I had learned about was that health and wellness was the absence of disease. Mm -hmm. So that's a very two very different perspectives on health. Mm -hmm. um, and they're both correct. There's, there is, you know, absence of disease could be, could be considered better health than having something. Um, but the aspect of First Nations health and wellness, that sort of into, um, worldview of health has been a long-standing worldview that we've, that we've had. And now I see a shift to the Western sort of models of health, looking to indigenous worldviews of health to, to, you know, they're endorsing that we need to address the whole person. We need to address the whole community. Um, a good example of that is there is a First Nations mental wellness continuum framework which is, I think, a very good tool for um, people to look at it and physicians can look at it to get a better understanding of how Indigenous communities view mental wellness. Um, and when you look at this model and this framework, you can see that everything is grounded in culture and that it's across systems and that it you know, it's all the things we like to think about when we think about the social determinants of health. But specifically for Indigenous people, it's not just about social determinants of health, it's doing and, and being able to achieve all of those things within um, our ways and our cultural ways and how we see being able to achieve that in community. Um, and it doesn't, 
mean that we don't incorporate everybody else around us. It means, you know, we, we incorporate everybody else around us. We incorporate, you know, the systems that are in place now for everyone. Um, and one thing that's really interesting is that having all of those things in place means that the definition of wellness is having an outcome of four things. And it was elder Jim Dumont who commented on uh, this in the framework. And he said that, and he says it much more, he says it very beautifully and much better than me, but he says that four of the aspects are hope, meaning, belonging, and purpose. And when a person has and achieves that in their life, then that person most likely has wellness. Don't even think about mental part because it's just one piece of, of, the, of the, the individual aspect. And so those four things, when you look at now the Public Health Agency of Canada on their website, the very first thing that they say now is this Indigenous you know, mental wellness, First Nations mental wellness framework points to these four things. And we agree, this is how Canada needs to think of wellness. And so you can sort of see that the Indigenous you know, idea and definition of wellness is now being something that Canada wants to endorse as well, because you know, it's something that, it's a very good way of looking at, at the whole person. And it fits right in with our patient-centered care approach that we also you know, think is really important for, for patient safety. Um, and the Mental Health Commission of Canada also endorses it. So I think the fact that we you know, have managed to show our perspective and that our perspective is now being you know, accepted and endorsed by people, you know, who want to better the lives and the health of Canadians is pretty impressive because I think it's a good, and I think we have a lot to offer to improve the lives of Canadians. 100%. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, wow, wow. So beautiful. Do you mind repeating the four again? The four. Um... So the four are hope, meaning, belonging, and purpose. And those four things were, were, the out, you know, the things that we need to achieve in order to be, to be well. And, and that means that there's a whole system that needs to work together to make it so that an individual and community can achieve those things. I guess there's, it's a hard question to ask because I feel like there's so many, so many topics that we touched on so many takeaways, but let's say there was one takeaway um, that we would like to leave our listeners with, what would it be? Um, I think my main takeaway would be um, if you're someone who's thinking of going into medicine, because I hope this will, you know, reach, you know, students who want to go into medicine, um, that I want, I want students to know that, you know, universities are listening to us and they are um, trying to create space for First Nations and, you know, Indigenous populations. So if people are thinking about it, then you know, I encourage them to apply, encourage them to get in touch with us, um, to find out how, you know, to get it done. Um, and then the takeaway in general would be, I think, to always think about that fact that cultural safety is about the patient and how they experience the healthcare system. And to make sure that as individual doctors, no matter where we are in the system, that we do our part to make it so that it's as culturally safe as possible. 
and then to ask for feedback about patient experience um, so that we can become better ourselves. And I guess the last question is that if you could go back to when you first started, um, I guess your journey into medical school um, and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? So I guess, you know, believe in yourself, um, even when you don't believe in yourself would be a really good, good sort of way to put it, because it did take a long time for me to eventually get into medicine. And it was something, as I said before, I wanted to do since I was really young. Um, and I think, you know, just continually believe in yourself and talk to people who believe in you, because I had lots of people that believed in me throughout all of these years. Wow. So thank you so, 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 so much, Jennifer. We learned um, so much and really, really, really um, such an inspiring person. And I really hope that, I mean, there was so many, so many, so many, so many great things that we learned today, but um, that we take it and we can apply it. Um, whether you are in medicine, whether you're not in medicine, I think that there's so many lessons just apply that it could be used um, in the day life. Um, yeah. So thank well, thanks you so for much. having me. It's really important that, you know, that people know that I <laughs> can talk about these things because other people have taught me about these things as well. So it's not, you know, I don't, I didn't come up with it all. It's things that have been shared with me, things that I've learned uh, through experience and that other, other people have, have taught me along the way. Thank you so much again. You're welcome. Wishing you an amazing, amazing, amazing day. Thanks, you too.